All right, so technically we're continuing where we were in Shema, which is very exciting. Anyone remember where we were in Shema? Okay, we actually had just finished the section on that it shall be if you will listen to my mitzvot, which I command to you today, to love Hashem, your God, and to serve Him with all your hearts and all your souls. And what we haven't yet done is the next part, which is, and I will provide rain to the land in the time. Okay, so that's, that's what we were thinking we were going to start today. But I'd like to insert another class here between, um, before we start really talking about the rain some more, which is just as well, because going into Sukkot, that will be right. better to talk about rain. Right. <laughs> um, and do one more thing on which, as we've said before, in the, in the first parsha of Shema, the focus was entirely on the loving relationship. Um, and, and how are we going to maintain that? Through the mitzvos. And now we get to Vahayim Shema, and we're talking about reward and punishment in regards to doing the mitzvos. But it's still based on the love. So it's that that somehow we have to transition from what happens in our head and what happens in our heart to our actions. And so that's a very appropriate time going into Yom Kippur, which is really what we're doing between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. In Elul is Anila Dodi Vidodili and working on the love and Rosh Hashanah, that Hashem is the Melech, and that's, that's building off of the love. And, and then we start to evaluate our actions and say, where are they falling short? What do we have to ask forgiveness for? In Yom Kippur, we ask, you know, we, we confess our sins ten times. So this is exactly the moment when we need to be talking about making that transition from love of Hashem and awe of Hashem and turning that into action. And I don't know about you, but I know that, that my experience is not unique which is kind of looking at maybe even 20 years of Cheshbon HaNefesh around this time of year and saying, gee, this list looks very familiar. I could have just Xeroxed the one from 20 years ago and it wouldn't be too far different. So am I, you know, maybe I haven't gotten it down right. Maybe I'm doing, I haven't figured this out. <coughs> I'm not promising to provide all the answers, but I think at least a direction is helpful and specifically tied to these ideas that we're talking about. It's not just that I... I'm using this as a segue to talk about Yom Kippur, even though I think that would also be appropriate, but I think it actually is, goes here with Shema. To introduce this idea, I'm going to go to something that I taught yesterday, and the shear is already online. So I know this is, this is the first time I've done it this way. I gave a shear yesterday on an introduction to brachos, but this is a second introduction to brachos, and I didn't do it in this shear. It's something since then that I learned. So you all haven't heard it. <laughs> I recommend you hear it because it's actually the basis for what I'm going to say today. And I'm also going to send the link from today's class to the ladies at yesterday's class so they can hear the part about attaching it to Yom Kippur because it wasn't time to do both in one session. There isn't going to be time today to do both either because that was a 45-minute class or 47-minute class. Okay. How do you have time to do both? I'm splitting it into two different days, so that makes it much simpler. All right. When you say yesterday, Tuesday. where? And near La Brea. 
Ah, you are not here. Not here. No. Otherwise I haven't been hiding I from you. I have to find a place to live here, so mm -hmm. I, I don't have to. Hey, you should come live right here. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm going to do, I'm, we're not going to do, there's a lot of things that would be very nice and very interesting and whatever, but I want to just focus on this one missing piece. So I'm going to start with a little passage from Abu Draham, as he's commonly known, or Abu Darham, which is probably his name. Habracha he. A bracha is, so you'll, you'll forgive me for going back to brachos here, while we're in Shema. A bracha is bedibur hapet umachshavas halev. A bracha consists of spoken words from the mouth and thoughts in the heart. It requires both. Really, a person is comprised of a body and a neshama. And it's fitting for the person, the ideal would be, ledavik bekono, to cling to his creator, vilamod nachacho, and to, to stand before God's presence, tomid mitzad nishmaso, at all times continuously. That would be the ideal from the point of view of your soul. And in fact, it's something we aspire to in the next world, presumably. But, but physically speaking, you can't do that. No matter how great your Shimon Asri is, you can't spend 24 hours a day in Shimon Asri, even if that were the degree of closeness that we were looking for. Therefore, when we make a bracha, we refer to both that which is hidden and that which is present. And that, that touches on another issue, but in other words, we're referring to both the spiritual side and the physical side. That which we can see and that which we can't see. So we have Baruch HaToh Hashem, which is second person, directly talking to God, standing before him, and Elokeinu Melech in third person, where we're not standing before him. So in some ways, we're living standing before God. That's our ideal for the soul. And in some ways, we're living in the physical world because that's the reality of our bodies. There's only so much they can handle. Just turned all the pages over. Whoops. Okay. Rav Hirsch starts to bridge this gap. Oh, so, so point number one is that the bracha itself, the process of a bracha, which is comprised of two pieces, a physical piece, which is the words, the vibrations coming out of your mouth, and a mental and emotional piece, which is the thoughts of the heart. Mm -hmm. You unify that in the, in the bracha, and in this way, you are presenting both the nochach and the nistar. You have the bracha is the bridge between our spiritual life and our physical life. So when we're going to do an action that's a mitzvah, we make a bracha to go with it. There's, the bracha is the means of bridging the spirituality and the physicality together. That fits what we know about a bracha as a conduit, as a way of both recognizing the shefa from the spiritual to the physical and also wishing it to multiply, or amplifying it, or illuminating it. Rav Hirsch says, the fruit of this inner divine service, inner divine service is his term for tefillah. The fruit of this inner divine service should be the divine service of the deed, which means the fruit of tefillah should be mitzvah. When you daven, that should have an impact on your actions afterward. Maybe not day to day. Maybe you don't see a change 
every time you dive in, a big change in your actions down the line. But somehow the process of tefillah, of drawing close to Hashem, should be visible over time in a change in our actions. Now, I'm going to go back a paragraph in Rav Hirsch to d- show you his description of what would happen to you when you're davening. The process that you'd go through in your davening that would lead to a change in your actions. In tefillah, you should step out from the striving after the future and view your past and that which has come to you in life. So reflect back recognizing that it came to you and is yours only through God. That sounds a lot like brachos and psukit Zimra, right? You should realize that what you have become is due to all these gifts resulting from the love of God. Ding, kriyashma. You must reflect where your life has fallen short and unworthy of this love. You start hearing, wait a minute, Isn't that Yom Kippur, right? Mm -hmm. You should confess the fault, admitting the sin to yourself, the first step towards tshuva. You should recognize your past and learn to confess your prayer, your errors in prayer, in toda and vidui, prayers of recognition and confession. Okay, and in this way, okay, now your attitude to life, which was clarified anew in prayer, The prayer changes how you feel about your life as a whole, from past and into the present. That should help you towards the future, which is that fruit. The the fruit is the future, the change going forward. So the flower of Altafila is the resolution, which infuses the whole man and unites all your powers to be a servant of God in life. What Rav Hirsch is saying is it's a logical progression of the process of tefillah. If we do each of these stages, then logically the flower, the fruit that will come out of a tefillah is resolution to unite yourself in service of Hashem. And this attitude should help you to actually do it. From the start, you should set this as your task, realizing that this is the purpose of the gifts God grants as a result of your wishes and strivings. By the way, this is an insight into something we haven't discussed, which is what does it mean we keep talking about going up and up and up towards Shmon Esrei? Because we haven't gotten there yet. But we know that in Shafras, we also walk back down. You have to take it back out with you to the physical world. He's starting to explain. You, you want to open? Oh, it's too bad. He's starting to explain to us how do you take a Shmon Esrei elevated experience and bring it back into the world with you? You bring it back through resolution which is why there's something called Tachanun that follows Shmona Esrei. I was reading in the book called The World of Prayer, yeah, help yourself, by Ellie Monk. He says, he says that most people, I think this is where I saw it, most people don't realize that Tachanun is, is, a te- is like a continuation of Shmona Esrei. I certainly didn't know that. I haven't said Tachanun in many years. I once went to a modern Orthodox camp. The girls said Tachanun also. It's not so common. That it's Tachanun, which is begging for forgiveness and this is part of, like, this is a continuation of Shimon Esri because this is how you take it back out with you. You get elevated all the way up to this high level, like Yom Kippur, a mini Yom Kippur, and you have to take it out with you, which requires resolution. So the, it starts with resolve in your mind. I am totally dedicated to Hashem. 
And now you work your way down through resolution and how you're going to integrate it into change. This should be, wow, it's the first day there's been noise other than one day with jackhammers. They're cutting tile. This should be the exemplification of your feeling and gratitude and your confession of sins, which when you view your past life, fill you with thoughts of the greatness of divine glory and favor and the smallness of your own merit. The expression of this resolution is bracha. How do you express your resolution that everything is bracha? Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. This is when you, that's that handout that I, I put out at Shul, on, at Davening, on Rosh Hashanah. Whenever you say to God, Baruch atah Hashem Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, you subject all the powers of your being to the fulfillment of the divine will, to the divine service of the deed. This is how you walk back out with it. And this is important for us right now, even though we're not up to it, because we are up to Yom Kippur. <laughs> and we don't really want to walk away, even from the most amazing Yom Kippur, feeling like nothing changed. We want an amazing Yom Kippur where something changes, but then we need instruction how to do it. Turns out it's what we're supposed to have been doing all along. Okay. Now there's one other main piece that I want to... By the way, this is the connection that he hinted to in showing us that vidui, which means like confession, speaking out loud what we've done wrong, and toda, which means giving thanks, are really the same word. They're both the same root, toda, lehodot, to give thanks, which also means to acknowledge. As in modim anachnulach, it can mean we thank you, but it can also mean we acknowledge that you are Right? It, it's an, a modim is a, a hoda is a type of acknowledgement where you acknowledge that the other person has power. It's, it's and, and you don't necessarily. It's putting the other person higher than yourself, kind of hoda. That's why when you say thank you, you are ingratiating, you know, you make yourself, not ingratiating necessarily, but you, in gratitude, you also create a debt. You acknowledge a debt to the other person. They did something for you. Some people have trouble saying thank you. It's hard for them to admit that there was something they needed and somebody helped them. Okay, those are two sides of the same, or, the, or you might say those are the two sides of the chain of Rabbeinu Bechayi, that shalsheles of the Shefa Bracha, is recognizing that we receive, means admitting that, right, <laughs> that we needed. And then being able to look back up at it is the gratitude. So this kind of goes both ways, being able to receive, being able to acknowledge that we are needy, that Hashem provides for us. This is all the aspect of bracha. That's what a bracha is supposed to help us do, is exactly toda and vidui. All right. So I kind of hinted to something that in this year we've covered before in Baruch Sha'amar, which is that Hashem is providing everything. This is the shefa to us. But that also means acknowledging that we had need, that we are not whole and independent on our own and can just manage, thank you very much. And that's something we talked about it there as Baruch HaOlamim. Hashem provides life to all universes. And I don't know if you remember, we talked about it once, um, comparing it to the bracha after shahakol foods, like general foods, Right? That Hashem, you created many souls and made them all chaser. They're all lacking in some way. 
everything which you created, in order that you will give life to them, because like Mayim Chaim, which are the waters of the mikvah, right? What does it mean, Mayim Chaim? It means waters that continually flow. They keep putting out, as opposed to a pool where it's full and you empty it and it's empty. Mayim Chaim keeps flowing. Chaim means it keeps on flowing. It keeps coming. That's how Hashem provides for us. That's lehachayos, to give life to us. He continually sends a stream of sustenance and life to us. But that also means we're continually in need. So he created us lacking, but he continually provides for us. So that idea of chai, of 18, that is the backbone of davening. So, of course, Shmona Esrei, which means 18, it's the backbone of Davening. That's the main thing in Davening. It's a series of 18 brachos. I don't think at this stage we're going to talk about 18 verses 19, but just know that in every set of 18, there's a 19th that kind of is part of the set, but is a little different from the others. It's just worth knowing. So Shmona Esrei is 18, and we know that the Icar of prayer, right, God created man, and he... And, and man was supposed to look and see that there was a need for rain and daven for rain. And only then did Hashem said rain, and only then did the vegetation begin to sprout. That's the, I realize there's a tzorech. Man has to realize there's a need and daven for it. So this chai, this 18, can you hear it? <laughs> this 18 describes Hashem constantly keeping us alive and providing everything we need but also us recognizing that something's missing. And that's the prayer. <laughs> Since my mother, and my mother certainly didn't get here either. Well, the recording won't be so helpful, will it? I'm afraid I'm gonna take the time. I guess I could ask them if they could wait a half an hour to cut more time. That would probably be frustrating for them. You're gonna close the second door? That might help. She's so beautiful, huh? What? Oh, me? <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. Okay. But it turns, what turns out is that that's, it's not just in Shemona Esrei. There are 18 brachos in the morning brachos. There's the first 15 plus the three of Birchos HaTorah. There are 18 verses in Yehi Chavod, which we read in Sukkot de Zimra. There are 18 references to God in the Az Yashir, the Song of the Sea, which is at the end of Sugei Tzimra. There are 18 references to God in Kriyashma and its brachos. There are 18 mentions of God's name in Uval Etzion, which is after Shemona Esrei. There, the, the Gemara in various places talks about 18 brachos in Kriyashma. Oh, there are 18 things that are described as Kayam, everlasting, in the MS Vyatsi Vinachon Vikayam at the end of right after Shema. The Gemara talks about eighteen brachos in in Davening, um, corresponding to eighteen places, eighteen verses in which Moshe and Aaron are listed as equals, like Vayedaber Hashem El Moshe El Aharon Limor, like that. Um, there are eighteen vertebrae in the spinal column. Now, if you go online and try and find out how many, you'll get like 24 or 33, depending on what they're counting. But I actually went and looked it up. 
And it becomes clear why they said that. It's because the first seven are the neck. They're not the back. So if you count just the back, which, which makes sense for Torah reasons why you would do that, because it has to do with submitting the self. That's with the lowering of the back. Okay, so you have 12 thoracic vertebra, and you have 5 lumbar. That's 17. And then you have the sacral vertebra, which medically are described as something like four fused vertebra. It's one bone. So they're talking, I don't know, based on some evolutionary theory that you can see that they could have been separate bones, but they're not. So that's 18. And the 19th is the tailbone, which is a very small bone, yeah, which is, which is also described as a couple of fused bones. But it's one single bone. So there's your 18 plus 1. Okay. There are also, remember in Parshas Pekude? So the Torah describes, here's how you should make the Mishkan. You should do the Aron like this. And they did it as Hashem had kasher diber Hashem al Moshe. And you should make the parochus like this. And they did it kasher diber Hashem al Moshe. And you should make the Mizbeach like this. And they did it kasher diber Hashem al Moshe. Just as, it says, do you remember that? It says over and over. It turns out it says it 18 times. So you start to see a picture here of something going on. Okay, um, again, I don't, I don't think we're going to try and analyze each individual one, just to point out that there's actually a medrash that talks about Moshe realizing that Bikurim would no longer be brought in the future, and therefore he established that the Jewish people should daven three times a day. So you already have a, there's something here with Moshe, with Aaron, with the davening, with the set, okay, and, so, and obviously the Mishkan, that's like pretty straightforward. Um, it's possible we'll talk a different time about like more of a connection to ourselves. It comes out then that 18 is the reason it's 18. When the tefillahs were designed, they were designed to be a process of 18. And then you layer the 18s on top of each other mm -hmm. in your four stages. So at each stage, you have an 18 degree process that takes you through the process of achieving whatever it was that you're going to achieve at that level. What Rav Munk says, and this is sort of the missing piece that we need now to transition over to a cheer about Yom Kippur, is that each of these is a case, other than the spine, of 18 shamos, 18 names of God, 18 shamos in Tehillim, of Havula Shembene Elim, I didn't even mention that one. 18 Prakam of Tehillim till you get to Yehiyula Ratzon Imrefi. In each case, it's a reference to God times 18. It's a name of God times 18. So, on the simple level, let's say the shot is in davening, we are submitting our physical means and resources before God. We're, right? That's the dedication. We submit our emotions to him. We do an 18 of the bending of the spine in Shorn We actually bow right? in order to be submissive, to show that we are submitting the 18 that pro to that process of 18, of recognizing there's a need and praying for it, asking Hashem as the source of all to provide it. We know he has provided it and we ask him to continue to provide, which is the purpose of tefillah, the purpose of the creation of man. I mean, this is, this is everything. And the proof of it will be the impact on our behavior. But there's another piece that Rav Munk gives, 
which is that in each of these cases, if you have the four-letter name of God, which is the Shem Havaya, Yud Hey Vav and Hey, Hashem is the loving, benevolent, merciful creator of the entire universe, and he is infinite. That's a name we can't even say. We can think about it, we can contemplate it, we're supposed to, but we don't even say it because it's not something we can fully grasp because of the infinity to it. But when you multiply 18 times the four, you take that four-letter name of God, and you have it now in a set of 18, what you have is 72-letter name of God. You have God's name, but now you've made it into 72 letters, 18 times 4. Which uh, he calls that the great divine name. This is something once in a while, if you read a Hasidic book ever, you know, you'll, they'll have some reference to uh, the Shem HaMefarash, the very explicit name. This is a name that we don't even, I don't know, I don't know if anyone even knows it now. Like this is, you know, it's described Moshe, killing somebody using the Shem HaMefarash, you're talking about the 72 letter name of God. So in other words, in the process of davening in such a way as to in fact reveal Hashem's presence in everything, Hashem is the source of everything and our need for Him, we're also, it's almost like subliminally, <laughs> also recognizing that the real core of that is Hashem's 72-letter great divine name. So great that we can't even contemplate it. It's only indirectly created through combining four letters 18 times. Okay. So now that we've had that introduction, all that was the introduction. One last piece of introduction, which we may, I think we probably hinted to when we talked about brachos here, which was the idea that, that those first 18 brachos really tie back to things that happened in Gan Eden. Remember, everything always came back to Gan Eden, Gan Eden, Gan Eden. Their eyes were opened, the clothing, the belts. You say, why those things? It turns out that the reason for those brachos being chosen is specifically because of changes that happened as a result of the sin in Gan Eden. And at the same time, we're choosing those to represent, not to represent, to be the specific items which we thank Hashem for giving us the means and resources that we have, and we dedicate them to serving Him. That's what we do in brachos. So if you put those two ideas together, what you have is we're thanking Hashem for these specific means and resources, for the opportunity to draw close to him using these things. Because he could have just said, never mind. You blew it, human beings. Never mind. That's what he said to the snake. Here's your food. Go off and eat. Oh, eat dirt. You'll never want. You'll always have everything you need but I don't want to hear from you again. And with humans, Hashem said, no, I still want to hear from you. I still want to live with you where you need, you notice the need, and that reminds you that I'm the source of all, and therefore you ask me for it, and therefore I provided for you, and we live in close communication all the time. That's love. So when we say our brachas in the morning, what we're saying is, you are allowing us to come back and relate to you with open eyes, 
with a belt, with tefillin, with covering our hair, with being a woman or a man, being a Jew, not a slave, all of these things that for most of humanity, the outcome was different. Not that they were wiped out completely, because they weren't. And part of having a Jewish person and a Jewish community is the fact that then all of humanity is drawn along and is blessed through the Jews, right? But thank you. Thank you for letting me approach you. Thank you, even if it's the hard way home, for giving me a way home, not locking the door on me. It's true that I have a long way back. The world of exile, whether we're in exile or not, this world that we're in is a world that is exiled from Eden. And that long, hard road to return is a big blessing. Because even though it's a lot worse than the short, happy road of just staying there, it means there's a way home. So thank you for giving me the opportunity and then giving me the tools on top of it to be able to come back to you. Okay, this starts to sound like Yom Kippur. Ramchal, I'm gonna read from a paragraph from Derech Hashem. He talks about the significance of Yom Kippur. In Yom HaKippurim Hu. Prepared for the Jewish people a special day. When tshuva is readily accepted. When we, tshuva means returning. Lashuva is to go back. Go back from where you started. Tshuva, you start to, you see this pattern? It's the way home. Tshuva is easily accepted. When we head back home on Yom Kippur, the door is open. We don't even really have to knock. And sins are very close to being erased. They're easily erased. In other words, you can repair all the damage that you did on Yom Kippur. Easily. Other times you can do it also but not so easily. And to remove all the darkness that gains strength through you. And to return the returners to the level of Kedusha and closeness to God that they had before. And from which they were distanced <coughs> through their sins. So on this day, we talked about the idea that there's light, there's power in each day of the year. And on this day, the light and the power of Yom Kippur is to make this complete, to make this happen. But how do you receive that light? If Yom Kippur is emitting this tremendous amount of light, that allows sins to be forgiven, allows our souls to return to the closeness to Hashem, which we had before. How do you receive it? Then you have to keep the mitzvahs that are commanded for this day. That's, that's the whole secret. The whole secret to being able to receive the light of Yom Kippur is to do the mitzvahs for the day. Ubefrat inyan ha'inui, meaning specifically inui. Inui is the restraint 
of physical pleasures, and they're listed. Don't eat. Don't drink. Don't wear leather shoes. Don't rub lotions and creams into your body. Don't wash. No intimate relations. It's subduing the body. That, that's what you have to do. That's the mitzvahs of Yom Kippur. And then, by doing this, you distance your soul and yourself from the physicality. And in this way, you can become elevated in some ways even higher than the malachim, than the angels, which is something we talked about earlier by Shema. That's the whole secret. Some secret. We all know about the myth. But to understand that the mitzvahs, the, that's their purpose, to help us do that. Okay. Shabbos. What is Shabbos? Shabbos is the day we don't do, we receive. Right? We don't do malacha, we receive. We receive God's blessing. We recognize for six days we did the work, but on the seventh day we remember really it's Hashem who's sending to us. Similar to the message of covering the challah and you open it, look, bread, ready to go, like man. Right? To sort of re-experience that feeling. Yom Kippur is Shabbos Shabbason. It's the ultimate Shabbos. It's the ultimate day to remember. It's not about the body. It's not about that. There's, it's all really about Hashem. He is the source. Teshuva, return, is related to the word Shabbos. It's both from the root of Shav. Returning to the source. Shabbos, that's one reason why Shabbos is the Makor HaKadusha. The, the, it's a, a source of Kedusha entering the world on Shabbos. Also through restraint. Okay, I think I'm going to... Another way that ties into what we've been learning about Shema and about davening in general is that, that Inui... These, these extra controls that we place on our body on Yom Kippur are a way of restricting our sense of I want. Restricting our taiva, restricting our sense of I want, which is restricting the ego. This is pushing the limits of saying my rut zone is not more than just your will is my will or my will is that it should be your will. We start to push the limits at Yom Kippur, and we start to try and go beyond even having an ego. To say, my will is just some finite aspect of the body in the end. Really, there's only your will. Everything is really you, Hashem. Yom Kippur is a day for pushing our limits there, to being able to, as we described, it's like fade ourselves away to some extent. So it's not just that our will is aligned with his will, our will becomes subsumed into his will. Okay. This idea in its what does it mean to say really you are the source of everything including will? Because on a small level we would say that a person has own has will and from that is born the deed. And we're emulating Hashem. Hashem's will becomes Vayomer Hashem, and that becomes the fact in the physical world. But on Yom Kippur, we're trying to, to reverse, to go in reverse, to return, 
lashuv, tshuva, we try and reverse and reverse ourselves back, recognizing I myself am only an expression of God's will. Everything about me, including my own will, is really something created by God. I, that means I'm an expression of his will. Even I am an expression of his will. How do you make that return trip? So here's a couple points. I just heard an amazing share from Rav Yitzchak Berkowitz. Number one, he didn't say this, but it's, a, it's what he expresses here. I heard it from someone else. The goal of Yom Kippur is not kapara. Kapara is forgiveness. The goal of Yom Kippur is tahara. Tahara is purity. Like Rabbi Akiva said, Ashrechem Yisrael, fortunate are you, Yisrael, lifnei miyatem mitaharim, before whom do you purify yourself? Umi mitahar eshem, and who purifies, eshem, who purifies you? Avichem shabashamayim, your father in heaven. Tahara, purity. Okay, so number one, this, here's what Rav Berkowitz said. On Yom Kippur, we say, here's how do we reverse? How do we do tshuva? Meaning reversing back to our source. Whoever I am, whoever I really can be, that's who I'm going to be. Now that has a few steps to be able to answer that statement. Because whoever I am, well, I better have to find out who I am. And that's who I'm going to be. Well, what's the plan for getting there? But whoever I am, whoever I am essentially, that's who I'm going to be. And that kind of soul searching walks a fine line. How do you not get depressed? Because even if you say, well, I'm going to soul search, I'm going to look at my strengths and who I could become through my strengths, I still have to look and see where I'm not meeting up to the potential. And that's pretty discouraging. And the davening on Yom Kippur could also be discouraging that way. Again, you say over and over again, all the sins that I've done, how small I am, how small I am in red. That's, I mean, it's a reality I'm looking at. It is the reality, but it's a sad reality how small I am compared to what I could be. On the other hand, just speaking logically, if I'm going to come away from teshuva feeling beaten down and depressed, I'm not going to get anywhere. If I'm going to come away from teshuva feeling energized and renewed in my commitment, I'm going to get somewhere. So it must be that somehow I have to do tshuva and in doing so come away with what Rav Hirsch called the resolve, right? The resolve to express my experience in improved deeds. So here's, here's really, it's a brilliant insight that Rav Berkowitz gave. He said, okay, so how do you become a greater person? He said, the first thing you have to do is ask, why do we sin? Why do we ever do things wrong? So the first, I think our first reaction is because we make the wrong choices. Or we allow ourselves to be pulled by our taivas or our, you know, feelings or our whatever it is. It's true. We're not absolved of our responsibility for our bad choices. We really are responsible. On the other hand, we don't sin at random. Each one of us has different things that we find challenging. 
And the reason for that is that in addition to having God-given strengths, we each have God-given weaknesses. Our sins are not random. Our sins are a result of weaknesses of character which we were given by God, either at birth or through circumstance. Which means, which means that just like it would be gaiva, it would be arrogance to take the credit for your strengths and talents beyond the extent to which you work to cultivate them. But just for the fact that you have a strength or a talent, you can't be proud of that. God gave it to you. You also don't have to carry all the blame for your weaknesses. God gave them to you. That's a very, very powerful insight. It's a big deal, Rabbi Berkowitz. Mr. Responsibility. Rabbi Responsibility. Okay. Now, we're still responsible even with all of our talents. We can take credit to some extent for the effort we've put in to cultivate them, to direct them, you know, and we have, are liable for the weaknesses to the extent that we cultivate those too, right? But we don't carry the full load. The fact that I'm lazy or the fact that I'm, I don't know, arrogant, whatever it is that's inborn to the character was put there. I'm not responsible for the fact that he put it there any more than I'm responsible for the fact, for the good stuff that he put inside of me. Hashem chose not to make us perfect. He created malachim when he wanted perfect creatures, and he created humans that were imperfect. It is his rutzon, it is his will, that created us as imperfect. He gave us strengths and weaknesses. However, for every character weakness that a person has, he will have a character strength that is specifically designed to correspond to it, that can be used either to correct it or to strengthen it or to compensate for the weakness. He says this is part of when we say that every person is unique. It's not just that we're unique in our blend of strengths and weaknesses. They're paired sets. The strengths and weaknesses go together in order that we have the tools to work with. So, and this is his statement now again. What, what do we have to do tshuva for? What do we really have to repent for? What are we blamed for? Not using our strengths to conquer our weaknesses. Isn't that by itself a whole different framing of, of, our, of our failures? It's not, I am such a bad person. I'm so weak. I'm so lazy. I'm the, it's not that. If that's how I am, that's his fault. That's not, this is not my problem, right? My problem is, where have I failed? Where have I failed? to conquer those weaknesses by using the strength I was given. He said, if you could make a complete list of your character flaws, which is not so simple, you know what you would have? You would have a list of your mission in life. It would be your to-do list for life. That's also a very different way of thinking of your character flaws. Whatever it is, however long the list is, may you have a long life to deal with them. 
If we could make such a list, if we should make such a list, which is a little questionable considering where we're mostly holding, but let's say it was a good idea to make such a list, Yom Kippur is certainly something of a time for that, then what you should be seeing is not a list of how bad you are, you're seeing a list of how you were created, right? What you're seeing is your to-do list. Here's the things that I'm supposed to use my strengths to work on. I need my collection, my unique collection of strengths is somehow perfectly aligned in order to deal with these problems. That's a lifelong process. The process of becoming a greater human being, he said, is not just saying, I'm sorry, uh, I shouldn't have done it, I'll try and be good. Because that doesn't last. That's like where we make our list and the next year we got the same list and the next year we have the same list again. right? I'm sorry, I'll try and be good. That's not what teshuva is about. Teshuva is struggling to get your, to know yourself, to understand why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing, and what Hashem had in mind for you. That's a lifelong process. That's how it's meant to be. So teshuva means coming back. What are we coming back to? And we kind of hinted to it just before this. He says, we have, oh. we, <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> we have, I think, an image in our mind. I know that I didn't realize it till he said it, but as soon as he said it, I was like, yeah, I guess so. That tshuva means returning to the innocence of our youth. He says that's definitely not true. To the extent that he, I think he quoted Ramchal, but he didn't say where. He says, Ramchal says, if you want to see evil in its purest state, look at a child under the age of three. Now we look at that and we're like, that's the purest, most beautiful. <laughs> right? This is like... Okay. Set it. Okay. And do you want to see true goodness? You look at a child, uh, an adult, at the age of 12 or 13. That's when you get your Yetzer Tov. Okay. So we hang on. This innocent child is worse than a teenager? And all the baggage that the word teenager carries? How can that be? What that tells us is that the Torah's definition of righteousness and wickedness or good and evil is different than what ours is. The Torah is telling us that evil is following your instinct for pleasure. And good is the struggle to learn from your mistakes and improve. That is what teenagerhood is about. That age between 12 or 13 and 20, in halacha as well, I mean, but also, right? That is the age of the prime. I mean, yeah, you keep doing it your whole life, you hope. But that is the main age for, for making a lot of mistakes and figuring out how to live your life not making those mistakes. Okay. So if teshuva means coming back, and it does not mean coming back to our innocent youth, he says, what we call innocence of youth, it's the ignorance of youth. It's not, <laughs> it's not innocence because of purity. It's innocence because of ignorance. We want to be intelligent. We want to use our minds. Okay. 
what are we coming back to then? Where are we supposed to be returning to? We're supposed to return to our source. What's our source? Hashem himself. That's what our soul is made of. Our ultimate highest level of neshama is part of Hashem. This is a piece of Hashem on high. That's where we're trying to return our souls to. On Yom Kippur, we reflect on the purity of our souls and the effort to make our combined body and soul both be a pure reflection of the purity we come from. That's the return. But that's a return that's not discouraging, it's not depressing, it's a return that's energizing. Because it just means, right, as we say, if you're, if you're failing, if you're sinning, it means you're alive. That's the other part of Chaim, meaning always imperfect, always flawed, always needing. We <laughs> part of that is also in the spiritual aspect. We never quite make it all the way. And so we're still needy, and we're asking Hashem to return us. Right? On Yom Kippur, we also say, Hashem, I return to you, but you throw the holy water on me. Could you turn off the air conditioner for like five minutes or something? Because it's really loud. We've had tile cutting, and we've had... It's been a very interesting... Okay. All right. So what I want... I, I want to bring one other... There's really a lot of more things I'd like to do. We're not going to manage all of it. But I'd like to refer back to an essay from Rav Schwab, or it's not a whole essay, but a, a Dvar Torah from Rav Schwab in Mayan Beis HaShoeva, which we have come across earlier in Vahayaim Shamoa, which would be just a few weeks ago, except for the fact that we took a three-month break in the middle. Where he says, and so this should say, I mean, it could sound familiar, but it's a really long time ago. Well, I'm just going to jump to the end of it. Hashem answers all who call out to him in truth. So how can it be then that there are people who, who dive into Hashem and they, it seems that they're not answered? And the Medrash in Tehillim says, Amar Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, b'shem Rabbi Pinchas ben Yar, m'pnei mamis palim Yisrael ba'olam haza ve'enon nenin. Why is it that there are people who daven for things in this world and they don't seem to be answered? Al yedei she'enon yodim b'shem ha'mefarash. Because they don't know the shem ha'mefarash, the 72-letter name of God. And he brings a proof. They say, hang on, we're supposed to be? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> Okay, so I can't ex listen to how Rav Schwab answers it. He's quoting someone else. That when Hakadosh Baruch Hu hears the prayers of when Hakadosh Baruch Hu hears the tefillahs of the Jewish people, and he sprouts for them their redemption, as miskadel umiskade shmo baolam. His name is made greater and more revealed and holy in the world. Shiroim ayin be'ayin, because people can see with their very own eyes. Because you can see that Hashem is answering the person who davens him in truth, to him in truth. Therefore, when a person pours out his heart in prayer and in request, a person has to have in mind when he's asking, 
Sheikart's filoso, that the root and the main thing of his prayer, Hukadesha al Yadesha Nosei Bracha Me'es Hashem, that by receiving the bracha from Hashem, that Hashem giving him what he's asking for, his rabbi kvot ba'olam, that Hashem's covet in the world should be ma amplified and made greater. When we ask for something, we should be asking in a way, no matter how hard we're begging for it, for our own sake, we have to reformulate it in our mind. That means a lot of different ways. One is, I will praise Hashem. I will tell people, look what he did for me. Right? I will thank him privately for what he did for me. It means that when he gives me this thing that I'm asking for, the health or the money or whatever it is, that the way that I'm going to use it will be making Hashem's name more recognized and multiplied in the world. We learned this passage from Rav Schwab. Zehu Perush, this is the meaning of Ein Yodim B'Shem, that they don't know Hashem's name. They don't realize that when they're davening for something for themselves, they have to be davening that it's for Hashem. Do it for your name. That means some work on ourselves. We ha I mean, to get ourselves to where when we're asking for something for ourselves, we're asking it really for the sake of Hashem, honestly. Okay. But now, now then we can get an idea of this, I this pattern of 18 that's worked into all the prayers, this pattern of 18 mentions of Hashem's great name. That when we're asking for something, we're doing it in order to know or make known more and more that what is hidden in the world, which is Hashem's permeating the world with his presence, it's hidden from us and we want that to become revealed through what we're asking and through the very asking of it itself. And this fits in so perfectly with what we were just saying about Yom Kippur, returning to our source, returning our Ratzon to its source as a Ratzon of Hashem. All of this is, is the same message on different angles. Okay, so... We're going to stop here. Um, I hope that's helpful going into Yom Kippur. Oy, oy, oy. And I wish you all a Gemar Chasimatova for all of us. Thank you.